Okay, friends. Um, by the way, if we have not met, my name is Charlie Salmoni, lead pastor. If you're new here, welcome. You've joined us in the middle of a series on the Old Testament book of Genesis. We have been looking specifically at the family of Abraham and his son Isaac and now his grandson Jacob. And there has been a theme that has carried us. We've called this series God's Beloved, uh, parentheses, dis dysfunctional family. And this week, there's just a lot more of that, <laughs> to be honest. There's a, uh, I have a lot of scriptures to get through, and I'm going to read them kind of quickly. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, there's just a lot of mess here. There's a lot of mess. Um, my first year as a pastor, an older pastor said to me that pastoring began to make a lot more sense to him when he realized that uh, every family is dysfunctional. <laughs> Once he realized that, <laughs> things made more sense. Uh, so if you're here today as a dysfunctional family or a dysfunctional individual, um, well then these stories are going to connect. If not, I don't have anything for you. Um, well, Jesus said he didn't come for those who are well. He came for those who are sick. So if you're well, you can just uh, do whatever for the next while. But if, if uh, mentioning uh, dysfunctional families has a little bit of resonance in you, well, lean in, because we're, we're about to dive into a whole mess of it. Um, uh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> There's a lot here. Jesus, help me. Okay, that's, that's my prayer for this morning. Uh, we're going to start kind of where we left off. Genesis chapter 30, begin verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Billa, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Billa as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said... I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won, so she named him Naphtali. Okay, I apologize if you're joining us for the first time and you have no idea what's going on. You're going to have to um, go back and listen to some of the previous sermons, but for now, Jacob has two wives, and he just, in these eight verses, gained himself a third, and none of this is painted as a good thing, um, but it is told as it worked out, and... Um, well, uh, Rachel is the less sympathetic of the two. Last week, we considered Leah, her older sister, the one who is not loved by Jacob or not loved as much. Leah is the pretty one, the one whom Jacob really wanted. And Rachel, or Rachel's the one that, that Jacob really wanted. And Rachel is someone that you do have to kind of feel bad for to a point because she didn't ask for this either. She didn't ask to be married to a man who was also married to her sister. 
Um, she was dealt a bad hand, and well, what do they say? I've heard this before. Hurt people hurt people, you know? Um, it's a cycle that continues. People get hurt, and they hurt others, and that's really what's going on here. We're looking at God's family. We're going to be considering Rachel, Leah, Jacob, Laban, the whole lot of them. They are people who are hurt, and they're people who are her people. There's no pure victims in the story. It's just a, a cycle that continues, and it's dysfunction that continues. And as we're reading this, and we're going to be going, we're going to see a lot of it, a lot of this dysfunction, a lot of this hurt, a lot of these people hurting other people. There is kind of a question of like, what hope do we have here? There's dysfunction after dysfunction. What hope do we have? Or what hope is there? What hope is there for a family that is messed up and not just messed up in like little ways? We're talking about layers upon layers of dysfunction. And that's really what we just saw here with what I read. Rachel, poor Rachel, you do feel bad for her thus far in the story. Um, she wants children. She's barren. She has not been able to, to, to get pregnant. But then you have to ask, well, why does she want children in the first place? Is it because she just really wants to be a mom? Well, I suppose, but really the motivating factor is her rivalry with her sister. She sees that Lisa, or Leah, uh, is having children. It says in verse one that she's jealous of her. She has kids and she names the kids in relation to, well, Naphtali, uh, she, she named him that. She said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. The kind of the thing on her heart is rivalry, and once more, it makes sense if you are married to the same man as your sister, but nevertheless, it's not a, a good thing, this sort of rivalry that's happening, and also, the great pain in Rachel's life is in relation to the fact that she has to share her husband. That's not how marriage is supposed to be. It very much makes sense that that brings with it a bunch of trouble and pain, and what is Rachel doing to try to fix her problem? She's bringing someone else into the, mist, the, the mess. She takes her servant and gives her servant to Jacob to be another wife, to bear children for her. And Billa may have wanted a life of her own apart from this, you know. It's a sad thing. Uh, we don't really get into Billa's story. We don't really get to know her. But of course, you, your heart can go out to her. This is a sad situation. This cycle of pain and dysfunction, hurting people, hurting people, just continues, and so what hope do we have when these are the layers upon layers of, of dysfunction? That's the word I've been using. Let's just keep reading. Verse nine, Leah, so this is the older sister, when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune? So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I? The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Oh, Leah was doing so good last week. She got to this point of like praise and like trust. And uh, we have this idea in our head where it's like our, our lives might be trouble, but then we're going to meet Jesus, we're going to praise him, and then like we're going to live happily ever after. And a lot of times, well, old habits die hard, old ways of thinking dies hard, transformation sometimes doesn't happen as fast as we want it to, sometimes we can fall back into things that we thought we kind of had conquered. Leah is backsliding, and Leah, the, the text here, the way that it's 
written is supposed to draw attention to the first sin of mankind. It says, Leah saw, uh, she took, and she gave to her husband. It's the same pattern of what happened with uh, Eve in the garden. She saw the apple, she took it. Uh, she kind of, like taking is kind of like taking matters into your own hands and failing to, to trust God and uh, giving, giving her to Jacob to be a fourth wife if you haven't picked it up, the way that it worked back then is if a woman was barren, she could take someone else to kind of bear a child for her, like a surrogate. So Leah, who already has children of her own, is so motivated by this rivalry. She's already winning numerically, if you want to say it that way. It's four to two. You know, she's got more, she's got more kids than her sister, um, but nevertheless, she's going to get someone else involved. And, well... We could talk about sin in relation to what it is externally, the way we hurt people, but what we really need to see is what sin is internally. Sin is what flows out of hearts that don't trust God, uh, meaning when we don't trust God to take care of us and to satisfy our hearts, and we feel like, I'm not going to be satisfied, I'm not going to be taken care of, I'm not going to be provided for unless I take matters into my own hands. That's where sin comes into play, and that's what's happening here uh, with Leah taking, uh, taking matters into her own hands and not trusting God. Well, that's where we're at so far. And this cycle is going to continue, I do say. Um, let's keep going, get to verse 14. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. So that's, a, that's Leah's firstborn, by the way. She, he found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Once more, we have layers upon layers of stuff, and I don't even know if I can get into everything that we could unpack here and show that there's just problems in this family. Reuben finds some mandrakes. So mandrakes were this, uh, it's just a, a root, um, and it, it's, a, it's a, a root that had, there was superstition attached to it, kind of like, um, like, like these were like magical roots that you can get pregnant, and it's an aphrodisiac, and things like that, and so it was kind of like there was this superstition around mandrakes, and so they're, they're trading Jacob, again, Jacob is just kind of, 
Jacob is this passive figure who's just getting like tossed around by his wives. And here, Jacob, take another wife. Here, take another. And he's just kind of going along with what his wives want, whether it's good or bad, and it's often bad. Not much good I can say about Jacob at this part in the story. Um, the whole thing of like trusting in mandrakes and trusting in superstition is going to be a theme we're going to see here where once more the problem is like God is suddenly not, in their minds, God is not, God is not powerful enough or maybe God does not really care, he doesn't care, or God is not paying attention. That's kind of like how they're living their lives. They're living their life as if God's not paying attention, God's not good, or God's not able. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 10, I think verse 29 to 31. Jesus said, you know, you can get two sparrows for a penny, so they're, they're worth like nothing. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from God's will. As in God's in control. God is able. Nothing happens unless God wants it to happen. And you're worth a lot more than sparrows. And he cares about you. And not only that, every hair on your head is numbered. Do you know what that means? That means the Lord, who is in control of everything, is paying very close attention. So we can trust him. We don't have to put our trust in superstitions and like vegetables to like produce offspring for us. We can trust him to make our souls happy and satisfied because he's in control of every little detail, every atom, every molecule, every hair on our head, and he's in perfect control. Nothing happens. A bird doesn't die. A bird worth half a penny doesn't die apart from his will. He is good, he cares, and he's in control. But God's special beloved family, they just, they just don't really trust that, you know? So they have to take matters into their own hands and do things like get mandrakes involved and buy and trade and sell Jacob like a, like a prostitute. It's not a good situation. And, uh, well, here's something. God isn't acting the way that I would expect him to. If I was God, I wouldn't... <laughs> I'm not God. It's good. It's a good thing I'm not God because I would do things different and I trust his way of doing things is better. But what I'm trying to tell you is God's acting kind of surprising in this where you have God's people really not behaving well and not trusting him. They're not trusting him. Instead, they're trusting in like things they pull out of the ground. And if I was God, I would be like, okay, well, if you're not going to trust me, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to help you if you're not going to trust me. Good luck with your mandrakes. That's not going to do anything. But God doesn't do that, does he? He acts very strangely towards his special beloved family. What does he do? They don't trust him. He blesses them anyways. He takes care of them anyways. This is the thing we have seen thus far in the book of Genesis that is so shocking. God's special beloved family. They're so dysfunctional. Their trust is always just up and down and usually down, yet nevertheless, he's faithful. We're gonna continue to see that, but that is, that's the, the most amazing thing that I've wanted you to see thus far. God is a covenant God, and we'll come back to that. There is hope for this dysfunctional family um, because there is someone, there's someone in this story who is faithful. It's not Rachel, it's not Leah. 
not Jacob, not Laban. Um, but all right, let's just keep going. Uh, verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Okay, there's so much insincerity in this room. Father-in-law, son-in-law, trickster versus trickster. Jacob is saying, oh, let me leave. I paid off my debt to you, let me leave. And Jacob doesn't really want to leave. He's not ready to confront what's at home. This is a negotiating tactic. Like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave unless you convince me to stay. And Laban gets that. And so Laban comes in with, Laban comes in with, oh, if I have found favor in your eyes. That's kind of like the reverence that you would speak to like a king, someone you respect. No one in this room respects one another. It's all, these two is just like spy versus spy, manipulator versus manipulator. Um, and this is their, this is family. This is, this is, this is, this is the special family of God thus far. And, um, and, and Laban says to him, name your wages and I will pay them. And that's funny if you've been with us through the story, because that's not the first time Laban has made that offer. Like, just tell me what your price is. You can trust me. I'll pay. <laughs> Last time around, that's how Jacob ended up with two wives and You'll have to go back and listen to some old sermons or read the text yourself if you don't know what I'm talking about there. But as you can see, there's a lot of dysfunction that I'm trying to work through here <laughs> in a short amount of time. Um, but uh, so anyways, oh yeah, this. And Laban says, I've learned through divination that God has helped me because of you. Once more, what do I do with this? What do we do with this? It's actually something that, it's a little bit of a theme that you're seeing here where God's people, God's family, they are, they are putting the trust in some weird maneuvers, right? It's kind of like the mandrake thing, where we're going to trust in like, well, in this case, divination. Maybe you know, I hope you know. If you don't know, I'll tell you. The Bible does not have good things to say about witchcraft and sorcery and fortune-telling and divination. You know, these aren't things that God wants his people doing. I think it's fair to ask the question, why? Okay, why? What are people doing when they do things like divination or, or sorcery and such? Well, they're trying to gather wisdom and they're trying to have a, a bit of control over the situation. The reason why those things are bad is because that's God's job in the sense of I mean, James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask me. Ask of God. God gives graciously wisdom to all who ask without finding fault. These things, um, uh, blessing and, and, and wisdom, they are supposed to be found by us in our relationship to him. It's not supposed to be something that we just go and we discover. It's supposed to be something that we find in relationship. I asked God for wisdom. He granted me wisdom. He is a good God. Praise the Lord. It's supposed to produce in us the, the, the height of joy, which is praise, praise of God, thankfulness to God. He's good. He cares about me. He's watching. He's paying attention. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. He's good. He loves me. Like That is the height of human joy. 
And the problem with these other means is trying to invoke mechanisms to get what you want, which may or may not work, but it's not ultimately gonna produce what we were created for, which is to know him, to experience him. You want wisdom? Look to me. I'm right here. I'm right here to be found. Don't seek spiritual guidance through spiritual means such as that, divination and witchcraft and things like that. Just look to me because I'm here, good, willing, ready to provide all of those things and satisfy your soul. Well, anyways, Laban says, name your wages. You can trust me. I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you. Jacob said to him, verse 29, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? He asked, he said, he asked, don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Then let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Sorry, I had, that's funny to me. Uh, whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. Okay, without getting into all this, basically they've come up with, with a deal. They don't trust each other, but they feel like this is the way that we can do this. And, um, and this is a way, in theory, this is good because it's like, let's just put our trust in God. Okay, we'll watch the sheep. I'll watch your sheep. If a sheep is born speckled or spotted, it's mine, you know, and if it's born, you know, plain colored, it's yours. So it's just kind of, we'll, we'll just leave it in God's hands. And that way, you know, it's easy to tell whose sheep is whose because, well, if it's speckled, you know, you, you can't cheat that, right? <laughs> they both are thinking, oh, this is a deal that, this is a deal that, that, that'll work out. And I'm sure we can trust these two to, you know, I'm sure we can trust these two to, to just, leaving in God's hands, right? Of course not. Um, verse 35, that same day he, Laban, removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them and all the dark colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and maple white stripes and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink, when the flocks were in heat and came to drink. They made it in front of the branches and they bore young, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came 
to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Okay, what, what is going on here? Um, Laban's, he's trying to manipulate the situation. Let's get all the streaked ones and spotted ones out of here so they can't reproduce. We'll put them with uh, my, my kids three days away. Jacob won't know anything about it. Jacob, meanwhile, instead of just trusting God, Jacob's got a whole system worked out. <laughs> Jacob has a whole system worked out involving Almond branches being placed over the water trough at certain times of day when certain sheep and lambs are there and removing them when they're not. And if they mate in front of the branches when they're strong or if they don't, when, it's complicated. It's a complicated system. And basically, it, it seems to come from some superstition, just like the mandrakes, right? It's kind of like, that's why I have to tell all these stories together because it's like they're all doing the same thing seems to think that some old superstition of like how to get these sheep to produce and doing it when the strong ones are there so the strong ones are speckled and the weak ones go to the weak, ba the weak babies go to Laban and the strong ones are spotted and they'll go to me and it's like this really complicated system that Laban has worked out or that Jacob has worked out. And here's what's crazy. It, by the way, the branches aren't magical. They're not doing anything. We're going to see that later. Um, if you read this by yourself, you might think, oh, wow, he, this works. Or, or maybe a, a skeptic might read it and be like, well, see, the Bible doesn't know anything about science because the Bible seems to say that these little branches are going to... No, 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 that's not what's happening here, okay? Um, once more, God is being faithful. God has promised to bless Jacob. Prom God has promised to take care of, of him and provide for him. And so God is once more behaving... Unlike I would if I was God. If I was God, I'd be like, so instead of trusting me, you're going to develop this complicated system of branches and time of day and all of this? Forget you. I'm not going to help you if you're not going to trust me. That's what I would do if I were God. I'm not God. And God is smarter than me. God is, is better than me. He is, he is more good. He's more faithful. And God has made a promise to this dysfunctional family. So even though, even though they are trusting in mandrakes and divination, and in this case, almond branches, magical almond branches, even though they're trusting in those things, rather than trusting in God, what is he doing? Taking care of them, blessing them nonetheless. Jacob, his scheming, on the surface, seems to work. It seems to produce the speckled babies, but it's not the scheming. Um, verse uh, 1 of chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. 
So God has turned away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this place at once and go back to your native land. So God is saying, it was me the whole time, okay? It wasn't the branches, it was me. Wow, all that waste, you know? All that wasted time putting up branches and removing branches and doing it all in secrecy and the scheming and the plotting. You could have been just relaxing the whole time. My oh my, sometimes I think, how much of my life, how much of my life is spent worrying about things that God has promised to take care of? How much of my life has spent, how much of my life has spent worrying and trying to control, trying to control things that God has already promised to bless me with? It's a human condition, isn't it? That's what's going on with Rachel, Leah, Jacob, and Laban, all of them. God loves them all. They're super dysfunctional. God loves them all. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, of there's a lot of uh, trouble and, and, and strife in this family. Actually, on that note, let's just keep reading because it's going to come to a head. Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padam Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. Okay, so at this point in the story, I'm actually feeling bad for Laban. All right. Yeah, he's a swindler. He's a manipulator, like everyone else in the story. But Rachel and Leah, they're mad at him. They think he's been, you know, ungenerous, um, which is totally true. But their solution is, let's leave in the middle of the night. Let's just go and not even say goodbye to him. Take, let, let, let's leave our father forever and never see him again. Let's just sneak out. I mean, the guy's got issues, Laban, no doubt. They all do. But I'm sure even in his, like, you know, sinful, selfish ways, he still has a kind of love for his children and his grandchildren. And so anyways, they just want to leave and they sneak out. Rachel decides to steal Laban's household god, a statue of some other god, which once more layers of dysfunction that I don't even know what to do with. Um, is this coming out of Rachel through just the thing is worth money and she feels like she wants it or deserves it or she has some sort of trust in this superstition. I don't know and I, to be honest, I don't have time to unpack all of that could be, but they leave, they, they just take off deceitfully, it says, they deceived him. They're not, God didn't tell him to do that. God said to leave, but he didn't say you have to 
sneak out on, on your father-in-law and take his you know, children away without him getting to say goodbye. Verse 22, on the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Okay, so everything's coming to a, coming to a point here. Verse 24, Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you have longed to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? He said to Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my gods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it in here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your fields. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years, and I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters and the children are my children and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Okay, so there is once more. I got to get through this. We're, we just don't have time to dive into everything that's going on here. And... The, the summary of the story is there's no good guys here. And uh, um, they have this shouting match. Jacob is getting kind of self-righteous in the whole thing, acting like, you know, he's just a victim. And he is a victim, but he's not only a victim. That's like everyone in the story. They're all victims, but they're not only victims. They're also people who manipulate and, and scheme and, and rivalry and ab abuse other people. But Jacob is feeling self-righteous in the thing. Uh, Laban sure, certainly is. There's a shouting match. 
But this last question is the question that I've kind of been asking. Laban says, what can I do? What can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? And that's kind of the question I've been asking in the sense of like, with a family such as this, with layers, deep, deep layers of dysfunction, what hope is there? What hope is there for peace? What can I do? How is this going to end? Well, they come up with a solution. Genesis 31, verse 44 to 55. Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set up a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So he took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sadutha, and Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, this heap is witness between you and me today. This is why it was called Gilead. It was also called Mizpah because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you, retreat, if you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here's this heap and here's this pillar I've set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not, pa- I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. There's something sweet here. Um, so this big question of what can we do? I don't trust you, you don't trust me, and for good reason. What can we do? And they both understand that there's really only one faithful party in this whole story, and that's God, the Lord. And so they decide to make a covenant. Sometimes, like, Christians will talk about this, like, is God at the center of your family? This is something I believe. If God's not at the center of your family, there's no hope for real peace. But if God is at the center, there's hope. And what does that mean if God is at the center? It means, it means individually as a family, like we are in covenant. We're in covenant with God. That's, God's a covenant God, and that's what's just happened here. Their solution to it all is to make a covenant. A covenant is something I don't, I, I had plans to talk about this this in further detail, but we're a bit over time. I'm, I'm going to save it because there's a whole, there's, there's more to be said here. You'll hear it in, in, in time. But for today, I'll tell you this. A covenant is a blood promise. It's the most serious of promises. And even here, they're shed in blood. Here, they, they kill an animal. They sacrifice an animal. The blood is to symbolize a seriousness. And you've heard it said, perhaps... Um, Jesus died on the cross and he paid for our sins, but his bloodshed is the blood of a covenant. It's the, it's the blood of a promise. A, 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 a covenant is a blood, it's almost like a contract, but it's more serious than that. And it's more powerful than that. It's a promise that God will be at the center and in a covenant, and this part's important, a covenant brings two parties together into oneness. You see, there was, they were ready to kill each other, this group. But the story ends, they're sitting down and they're eating together 
and Laban is kissing his children, kissing his grandchildren, saying goodbye. He's blessing them. In a covenant, the two become one. The power of covenant is the two become one. And covenant is the only way to understand this story. And it's the only way to understand God and our relationship to him. This whole story, this whole story, people don't trust God. But what does God do? He continues to be faithful to them because he sees them as his own. This is my special family. They're, they're, they're a dysfunctional mess, but they're mine. This is my family. Oneness. So I'm going to take care of them because they're mine. The two shall become one. It's the story of the Bible. And I told you guys before, my wife and I, this is, this is true. We got engaged on the first date. We hardly knew each other. No doubt. We got engaged on the first date and married three months later. And there's a little more to the story, but that part's true. And the reason why we did it is because understood covenant. It's not about you and it's not about me. But we're going to put God at the center and he's going to show himself to be faithful. The only way that we can find peace, real peace, in this dysfunctional life of dysfunctional sinners is to do this, to put God at the center and let him be the faithful one. How do we do it? How do we do it, you ask? Well, this is a very good question. It's not complicated. For those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be part of this special covenant family where he is faithful, and he will never, he will never give up on covenant. He will never turn his back on his covenant family. They can screw up. They can screw up many, many times. He'll always be faithful because it's who he is. And the great invitation that we have is to make him our God, to receive Jesus as our Savior, the blood shed for us, to receive him. And this is our peace. And, and, and this, this messed up family, it ends well, doesn't it? I think it ends beautiful. It makes me want to cry. Laban kissed his grandchildren, his daughters, the daughters that were ready to leave him in the middle of the night and never even say anything. He kisses them, hugs them, and he blesses them. Uh, Father God, I just pray that this, this covenant, um, this truth of covenant could be ours, Lord. This peace that is greater than the dysfunction. Lord, this truth that you would remain faithful um, and, and carry us even when we aren't, Lord. And uh, I ask you to just continue to work this truth in our heart. Amen. We're going to do one question today. Oh, yeah. was... uh, so um, if you do have a question about anything Charlie said and you want to uh, get an answer from him, you can uh, text our text line anyway. We're not going to take those questions this morning, but we do look at those throughout the week so we can uh, hopefully answer them. The question I have this morning, Charlie, is would you say that a modern day version of what Jacob was doing with the branches and the spotted sheep is manifesting, which is something we hear a lot about. And what, how should Christians think about that kind of thing? Manifesting. Man, you know, when you say it, you put it out in the universe and the universe will give it back. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, to be honest, sometimes I see Christians thinking that certain, um, kind of almost like formulizing, like if you do this formula, if you say your prayers in this way or do something in this way, then you can get the things that you want. As if, as if God's blessings can be controlled through things like that. 
That's not how this works. It's in relationship. It's in with him. It's going to him and, 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 and seeking him. So, yeah, yeah. So follow-up question then regarding manifesting. Um, if you listen to stories that you see online, a lot of times people are like, I said this thing, um, I kept saying it, the universe gave it to me. How should we reconcile God's work in our lives with that kind of thing? Like, oh yeah, this happened. Just like the, the branches that Jacob was putting out. How, how do we reconcile that in our own lives? Is that making sense? Yeah, I mean, the thing with the story, the surprising thing is sometimes those things seem to work. But when you keep reading, you realize, no, it wasn't those things. It was God working out his plan all along. I'm sure there are plenty of times that they tried things like that and they didn't work. You know, it's not, that is not, um, God is the one who is in control. And God is the one who's working out his story. And so, yeah. All right. Thanks for that.